Good evening. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 9, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you're here tonight without a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisle. You will always be lost uh, uh, without a Bible. Uh, hope, hopefully, you'll always be lost in any sermon you ever hear without having a Bible in front of you, and you'll certainly be lost tonight in Daniel chapter 9. Never, ever trust the preacher so much as to never have a Bible in front of you, checking what it is that we have to say. In this uh, Daniel chapter 9, the theme of this chapter is uh, prophecy and prayer. And here you have uh, Daniel reading an old prophecy and then preceding it provoking him to prayer to the Lord under the influence of that prophecy, and then God giving Daniel a new prophecy. Uh, as one commentator put this chapter very, very well, he said, if one were to choose the ten greatest chapters in the Bible on the subject of prayer, this chapter would be included on any list. And if uh, the ten most important chapters on prophecy were chosen, this chapter would again be included on any list. I mean, it is just a top ten in terms of prayer, top ten in terms of prophecy, and it's absolutely true. Notice in verse 1, in the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So this prophecy and these events occur, uh, as we're told here, the first year of the reign of King Darius, that is in 538 B.C., to give you a general idea of how many years ago we're talking about. And as a result, this, the events here in chapter 9 occurred about 12 years after the events that we studied in chapter 8 last week, uh, talking about the Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire. Uh, Daniel is about 80 years old now at this uh, point in, in time. Daniel prayed, as we see in uh, verse 2. He's reading these prophecies, uh, and, and there's a reference to the books here uh, in that verse, probably, uh, definitely, in fact, refers to copies of uh, Jewish sacred writings. And among the copies of what uh, Daniel is reading uh, is this, uh, the prophecies of Jeremiah. He has a copy uh, of them. You might wonder, what did Jeremiah do with all of that uh, wealth that all of these kings were constantly bestowing upon him, uh, right and left, because of uh, how gifted a man he was and how skilled he was as a leader? I don't doubt that he paid for copies of the Scripture. Uh, I don't think he was getting like new uh, Nehru jackets and puka shells and whatever might have been going on in Babylon back in those days, uh, uh, Hippogar bell bottoms or whatever, but uh, investing in the Word. But somehow he has a copy of these, uh, these scriptures. And, and here he is, used by God in a remarkable way himself as a prophet, and yet 
Uh, he seeks out the knowledge uh, from other prophets. He seeks out what God has spoken uh, through them. And he understood from the prophecies of Jeremiah. And having just recently come out of uh, the book of Jeremiah, relatively recently, uh, on things uh, that God had said through Jeremiah that because of the wickedness of the southern kingdom of Judah, their refusal to repent of their sin, their rebellion, that they were going to be taken captive by the Babylonians, which uh, happened, and uh, that they would be in that captivity for a period of 70 years. So Daniel is reading these prophecies, and he starts to do the math from the time that uh, the, uh, Judah fell to the Babylonians until this date was 67 years. And he realizes that the 70 years is fast approaching. And because of all of it, he now um, makes the prophecies themselves an issue of prayer between uh, him and the Lord. Uh, the the reason that the children of Israel went into captivity to the Babylonians was because of their sin, their rebellion, absolute unwillingness to repent, uh, no matter how many times God warned them. I mean, when we went through Ezekiel, when we went through uh, Jeremiah, just like, oh, again and again and again and again, God is warning the same uh, thing. But they also went into uh, captivity because of their failure uh, in terms of the length of that captivity, 70 years, because of their failure to keep one particular law of the law of Moses. And that was the Sabbath year. And the Sabbath year, God had built into the law that uh, every uh, person in Israel would work for six years, agrarian society. God would give them an abundant crop in the sixth year so that everyone could take the seventh year off. Oh, man! I mean, even as crazy as some of the proposals that are being made, of those running for president, they haven't come up with that one yet. Every seventh year off on the government. But this was something far better than that. God was promising, I will take care of you. I want you to rest on that seventh year. Now, how do you mess that up? Would, let me just say. <laughs> whether you're 17 years old or whether you're 75 years old, wouldn't you have loved to have had every seventh year completely off? I mean, how do you ruin that how do you not do that uh, but they didn't do it and they looked at it and said all right god's giving us so much abundance in the sixth year let's go ahead and work the seventh and make even more money the power of covetousness and they began to love covetousness the love of money material things more than god which is what the sabbath year is about seeking god a time to to quiet down and to to have extended time in that way, and they uh, ignored and violated uh, the Sabbath year law for 490 years. So they owed God 70 years. 
And God uh, put them into captivity to get those years uh, back. God takes his commandments very, very seriously. And uh, so uh, this is all going on in, in Daniel's mind as he's reading through these prophecies. And uh, Daniel here, um, he represents to us, models for us is a better word, not only being a student of the Word of God, but the importance of being a student of prophecy. And, uh, and he is definitely that, and he was better off for it. And the importance of being a student of prophecy is because everything that God prophesies is going to come to pass and, uh, and allows us to know what is going to happen in terms of the future in, in human history and then to enjoy the ride, the journey there, a little bit more knowing that nothing is really up in the air. I remember when I was a boy, I was... I attended for a period of time a little church called Valley Bible Chapel. It was a, ultimately it aligned itself with the Plymouth Brethren uh, denomination. And there was a guy named Joe Randall that was a part of that church. And in that church, it was a rotating pulpit. There, was no, there were no pastors. There were no senior pastors or teaching pastors or anything like that. It was just different elders within the church would teach each week. And so you got a lot of variety. And it was a pretty, you know, high and low in terms of uh, maybe gifting or ability uh, week in and week out. But it was never dull. There was a guy by the name of Joe Randall uh, who was one of those elders at that church and he was the brother of the sheriff in Napa at that time and he would get up and I just remembered as a young boy he would get up in the pulpit you always knew he was going to teach on prophecy and he and he'd come up with his bible and a stack of papers newspaper clippings that he had cut out there's no internet or any of that kind of stuff and printing these things off and and all they're clipped out and he would just go through article after article and how it was fulfilling uh prophecy and he's a student of prophecy and uh, but he he really set um something uh, 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 he directed me and the congregation in the importance of seeing human history in the light of, of prophecy. So as he's reading all of these prophecies, in verse 3, he then sets his face uh, toward God to pray. And then, again, in the light of verse 2, I set my face toward the Lord to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And so Daniel is reading the prophecies and, um, and he begins to offer prayer to the Lord, uh, supplication to the Lord. Supplication means to present needs, uh, individual practical needs to, uh, to God and uh, in terms of the restoration of Jerusalem and, and the regathering of Israel back into the land in light of the prophecies that he was uh, reading about. Now, why in the world would Daniel pray concerning a prophecy of God? I mean, if it's a prophecy of God, you already know it's going to come to pass. What is there to pray about? Why would prophecy provoke you to pray? Why, would, why did it provoke Daniel uh, to pray? Why not just sit tight and, and wait for it to come uh, to pass? And I don't think Daniel prayed at all for uh, uh, God's sake in, in that sense. Now he's going to get into confession of sin and repentance, and that needed to happen. But he didn't need to pray in order for this to happen and for it to happen on the timetable that God had said uh, that, it, that it would. 
When God calls on us to pray, and He does call on us to pray as we see uh, the events of the world unfolding uh, in light of the uh, prophetic scriptures concerning the end days of the last days of, of human history. And the reason that God has us pray related to these things is not because they're in jeopardy in any way, but because we have a need to pray related to those things. We have a need to pray uh, in, in order for um, uh, us to uh, gain a proper uh, perspective in the midst of the events that are unfolding related to uh, prophecy. We need that constant reminder uh, that God is in charge of, of human history and that human history is going to end uh, his, his way. And, and it, if we didn't pray about, even as we see the world becoming more and more like what Jesus said it would be like before his return, um, if we didn't pray related to that, well, the, the prayer gives us a hope. It gives us a confidence that this isn't going to be the eternal portion of the world, but that, that things are going to uh, change. This is why when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him uh, a request related to prayer, uh, they asked that he would teach them uh, to pray. And he uh, proceeded to give them what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then the next line is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth, even as it is in heaven. And the truth is, is that every time we pray or use that Lord's Prayer as a model for our prayer, there is this reminder of the fact that God's kingdom is coming and His will is going to be done on the earth. Not that God has a need to be reminded of it, but we have a need to be reminded of it. When I, when I use the Lord's Prayer as a model for my prayer, in, uh, to begin the day, and I do use the Lord's Prayer as a portion of my model for prayer to begin the Lord's Day. When I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Though I pray it every day, it, I still need to pray it the next day. Uh, every day it does something good in me to remind myself that God is in charge of human history and it is going to come out to his God-appointed end and I am on the right side uh, of all of that because of the grace of God and, and faith uh, in Christ. There is also an aspect uh, in all of this that God really does heed our prayers uh, that our prayers make a difference related to this. We say, okay, well, God doesn't need the reminder of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. But I need the reminder. Uh, supremely true. But it isn't that uh, God having us pray that prayer is meaningless to God, because it isn't. God will never have us pray a prayer that is an empty uh, prayer or a prayer that he won't take seriously and he won't answer. In the book of Revelation, when the judgments of God are poured out in association uh, with our prayers, 
And before that great tribulation begins, the beginning of the breaking of the seals, and then all of the judgments that follow, all of of that, uh, that judgment begins uh, specifically in answer to the prayer that Jesus has us praying on a daily basis. I'll give you an example of it in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Heavenly scene. Uh, during the the uh, great tribulation period or tribulation period now when he that is jesus had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And when he begins that tribulation period, he begins that uh, final section uh, of of the uh, uh, prophetic picture before his second coming, and he does it in response to the prayer that his, his people have been praying down through all of the ages, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth even as it is uh, in, in heaven. You notice in verse 3, Daniel's preparation for prayer. Uh, he set his face uh, toward the Lord and, uh, and he, he is giving uh, God his undivided attention. And we're told that he also, that he fasted. And fasting represents a self-denial, a denial of the flesh. And when people fast related to praying, it is, a, um, it is taking our prayer uh, into another realm, another uh, level of, of uh, not seriousness, but um, you can figure out the word I'm trying to figure out. Uh, and, and so there is the denial of food and uh, the distraction of food, the preparation of food, and I'm going to give God my undivided attention now uh, concerning uh, this. And uh, so he then clothed himself as well in sackcloth and ashes. And that represents his, the humility of his heart before God as he begins to pray. So we look at it and we talk about it, the humility of his heart and then his attitude of no distractions as he comes to the Lord. And it just sounds like, can sound like just so many points in a sermon. And, uh, but to just stop and to realize that Daniel the prophet, uh, in order now to begin to pray the prayer that he's going to pray and we're about to look at, uh, he goes into fasting, he clothes himself in this extraordinary way, and uh, he certainly doesn't tell us all about it. It's the Holy Spirit that has him reveal it to us to realize that this is the condition of his heart before God. And then the prayer itself formally in verse 4 Uh, he begins and he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and uh, made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God. And so he begins his prayer with a description of God and uh, begins his prayer with some time just spent recognizing for a moment who it is that he is 
praying to. That's a good thing to do. Um, you ever uh, take things to the Lord in prayer, uh, prayer and supplication, asking for specific needs in our life, and then leave that place of prayer um, still as anxious, still as worried, uh, still as fearful as ever when we began? Well, I hope I'm not the only one that has done that. Uh, sometimes it's simply because we have not prayed long enough for that transfer to occur. But sometimes it's because we haven't taken a moment to stop and to think about who we are lifting these needs up to, who we are casting our cares uh, upon. And when we take some time to consider and to magnify the Lord, to glorify Him, to acknowledge His greatness, then all of a sudden one of the transitions that occurs in prayer is that now I begin to see my problems in the light of His greatness. But until that happens, I'm seeing my problems, I'm seeing God as this small thing in the light of the greatness of of my problems. And so again, we go back to the Lord's Prayer. And how does Jesus have us begin that prayer? And he doesn't say that you just do that prayer over and over and over again, it, 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 verbatim. Nothing wrong with that if we mean it when we say it. But he said, uh, that after this manner pray. But how does it begin? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is who we're going to in prayer. This is who we're asking to save our lost family members. This is who we're asking to deal with whatever other issues are in, are in our, our lives. Uh, the God for whom nothing is impossible. And it's important. It may seem like a small thing, but it can revolutionize uh, our prayer life and the effectiveness of our prayer life, not only with God, but in terms of its impact upon us, to spend just some time praising Him uh, for who He is and what He is. And we see Daniel uh, do that. One of the great things about walking with the Lord for a while, and I've walked with the Lord for a while, not as long as uh, some of you, some of you are really old, just kidding. <laughs> I, I was at a gym recently and I was working out and I came home and I told my wife, yeah, there was this old lady there. And, and then I realized, no, she's my age. Uh, you know, but, but one of the great things about walking with the Lord for a long time, I'm locked, I'm at 18 in your mind. You know, you do the same thing or whatever. So, um, but one of the things that I've lost my whole train of thought here now. Ah, it's coming back. Same, came so close again. It's just going to come back again. It's coming. Ah, uh, it's come. Ah, there it is. Ah, oh, oh, rats. No, I got it. Um, but it, one of the nice things about having walked with the Lord for a long time is you've been able to pray with a lot of people. And uh, hopefully you have. And had uh, maybe up in front after the service, had uh, people pray for you, others pray for you, pray with them. 
And one of the things that I've always liked, and I can think of a couple of men that uh, impacted me, and you know how so much impacts you in the early part of your Christian life, and then you recognize it when it happens for the rest of your Christian life. But I noticed a couple of the elders at Calvary Chapel of Napa, they would never head straight in to the thing that I had come up front for prayer about. They would always stop and for a sentence or two or three or four, they would stop and they would acknowledge the greatness of God. They would praise Him for His greatness. They would praise Him uh, for uh, His power and His strength. And, and it was something that stuck with me and I tried to do that with people as well myself as a result of it. But people not heading straight into the need, but a chance just to meditate on who we're bringing this prayer need to. And uh, uh, Daniel does exactly that in a, a beautiful way uh, here in, in the, the passage. He it comes and he begins to pray, and he wants to make a confession to the Lord. He begins it with prayer, and he declares again in praising God, he is the one who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his uh, commandments. And so here you have a confession on the part of uh, Daniel's uh, uh, part here that they were in captivity, the Jewish people, through no fault of God. Uh, Daniel here, he doesn't like the fact that the Jews are scattered from the land and that they are in captivity. doesn't like it. I mean, it's a hard thing for all of the Jewish people. But he recognized, God, you have been completely faithful in doing this. This was no violation of your nature. This was not you failing some promise to us uh, as as a people. And uh, God had been faithful to His Word. They had not been faithful to God's Word. And so that put them, as it will us, on the chastening side of, of God's promises. God, God had been so eager to bless them. And, uh, and, and by their disobedience, they robbed Him of a, a father's pre, uh, desire uh, to, to bless his children, and, and Daniel acknowledges that fact. We are in the pickle we're in, not because of any failure on your part, but because of our own uh, failure. And then in verse 5, just to let you know, we won't get to the prophecy at the end. Some of you are dying, uh, saying, if he doesn't hurry up, we're going to be here uh, until the next Super Bowl. And uh, so I think we're just going to get through the prayer here tonight. And so he begins in verse 5 with the confession. And he said, We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. How many of you as parents are still waiting for a confession with that kind of clarity from your children? It just doesn't exist within our culture. I mean, you just look at what's there in terms of confession uh, of sin. And one of the things that has always stuck with me since the first time I studied the book uh, of Daniel was to look at how Daniel associates himself with the Jewish people. Uh, he confesses his sin right along with the sins of the Jewish people, 
though Daniel played no part in the apostasy that led to their captivity. He played no part in being a false prophet or being a false ruler or being a false anything. And yet, uh, in the humility that he possessed in his identifying with uh, God's people, with the Jewish people, he doesn't, you don't read through this whole thing and say, yeah, you know, those people, they were je- and they and, and them and, and all, but, but he includes himself in it. And it's a beautiful picture of, of his maturity and, and of his heart. And, and here you have a confession uh, of uh, he makes on behalf of the people in the light of, of Jeremiah's prophecies and a confession of having departed from God's Word. And, it, and he just says, we disobeyed it as, as opposed to having obeyed it. And, and just look at the, notice the strength of the terms that Daniel uses there. He uses the word sin. And uh, we have sinned, which means to miss the mark. We missed the, the standard of, of your word. He, said, he, he says, we have uh, committed iniquity. And iniquity uh, carries the idea of perversity, of being uh, bent or being crooked or twisted. We were bent, we were crooked, we were twisted. That's what got us here. He talks about having done wickedly and, uh, and uh, talking about following the sin nature and then rebelled. And that was a single great sin of the Jewish people at this time in their history was the rebellion against God. They were in captivity because of a deliberate, knowing, willful rebellion against the commandments of God. And Daniel knew it. He knew it firsthand. He was in Jerusalem when the captivity began and everybody being dispersed from the, the, the city. But he also knew it from reading through, as we have, the book of Jeremiah and seeing how uh, steeped in sin uh, they were, determined in sin that they were. And as Daniel is thinking back upon their sin at that time of going into captivity, as he's reading the book uh, of Jeremiah, it, it, it provokes a need in him uh, to pray to God and to confess these things fully to God. One of the, and we notice it continually uh, in, as we go through this part of the Bible. Uh, and it's important to notice it continually. Uh, again, in the light of the perversity of the culture that we live in. But when Daniel confesses his sin and the sin of the Jewish people that put them into the mess that they were in, there's no blame shifting, there's no excuses, there's no finger pointing in, in any of this. There's not even an attempt to soft sell their sin or to rename their sin with kind of politically correct jargon. You see the strength of the words that he uses here uh, in the confession. And there's something uh, deep within us that our culture is, well, it's the devil behind the culture who is taking full advantage of it. There is something within us that's as old as Adam and Eve, and that is that when we sin, uh, if we cannot squirm out from under our guilt, the first thing we want to do is blame shift. Uh, Eve says, the devil made me do it. 
Adam said, uh, the woman you gave me, she's the one that was the problem here. So we know we all deal with this. And, and here is Daniel and just a show uh, of, of strength here. And he just uses these uh, strong, needed biblical words to describe wrongdoing. I don't know the last time you've heard anybody use the word sin outside of a, talking with a Christian or iniquity or wickedness or rebellion uh, within our culture. Uh, they've gone. And and again, we live in a culture that when we do wrong, uh, the culture by and large can't move fast enough uh, to cause us to escape any responsibility for our decision-making that put us in that place. Uh, All of us are just mere victims of everything that happens to us in life. And so as we live in the insanity of that kind of a culture, that wants to uh, supply those kind of excuses that it was somebody else's fault, it was the way that you were raised, or you didn't get a break at the right time in life, or they diagnosed it as a, a uh, illegitimate medical condition or something like that, then it allows me to, to stay uh, in, in, uh, in the sin and until nobody takes responsibility. Virtually no one takes responsibility. For their their wrongdoing and so all of this is very very refreshing uh, to see and and uh, and and if it's uh, uh, true of us here this morning uh, this evening uh, the importance if we're in the middle of a blame shift it's everybody else's fault if they'd have only and if this and this and this and all, all of that kind of stuff that just seems to flow forth from us and everybody wants to reinforce within our lives, sometimes even Christians. And uh, we have a desperate need to be told. You know what your problem is? You know why you're in the pickle that you're in? Because you're a sinful, crooked, wicked, and rebellious person. And you need to confess your sin and turn back to God and walk with Him with your whole heart. Uh, that's something that I don't know what your heart is like, uh, but that's something that uh, I need to hear. And how I think how refreshingly simple uh, life was for Daniel in this regard. Confessing our sin, as Daniel does this, confessing our sin to God uh, shouldn't be a kind of a blanket thing where you say, okay, all right, this is the part of the prayer where I confess my sin, and uh, so God forgive me all of my sins. And uh, it comes out, after a while you walk with the Lord for a little while, it comes out like grease lightning. I mean, it just like, just jumps out there without uh, any kind of engagement of my mind or any engagement of my heart uh, related to it uh, at, at all. And, uh, but that's not what Daniel's doing here. Here, he gets very specific, uh, and, and he confesses specific sin, and he asks for uh, forgiveness for specific sin here. And it's the importance in our confession of sin to God, it's important that when we're angry, and, uh, or when we're angry, and then we blow up at someone, that we don't, following that event, say, oh God, forgive me for my sin, and uh, do the sign of the cross or something, and it's all over. But to just stop and say, Lord, that was a sin 
and I ask you to forgive me of my anger. I ask you to forgive me of, for the words that came out of my mouth. And I ask it of you first because I'm going to go and ask for forgiveness of the person uh, that I said those words to in that way as soon as I'm done talking with you. And to just head through that, whether it's lying, whether it's stealing, whether it's uh, lack of integrity, or whatever it might be. And one of the things that happens is if it's just this kind of, I had a, a friend in high school and uh, we would sit down uh, for meals once in a while, and he would pray a prayer over his meal. He's very irreligious, and uh, he was religious, but very irreligious in terms of being connected with the Lord. And he would say, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. And then he would plow into his food. I mean, it does your, it, it, you know, when you're born again, that, that hurts your heart to, to uh, realize that that was, that was where, uh, where he was. But I think sometimes our confession of sin uh, it, it, it so often becomes as superficial almost as that. And what happens if I confess the specific sins that I am committing to the Lord? Now, nobody can remember every sin that we have committed in the course of a day. But where the Lord stops us, and we're aware of that, if we, com- if we ask for forgiveness of that sin specifically and individually, it makes me aware of that sin in my life in a way that I wouldn't otherwise be aware of it. And to realize, that's the fourth time I've had to ask for forgiveness for that. I think I ought to find out what the Bible says about that particular sin and how I ought to handle it and then begin to make that a matter of prayer, not in the realm of, of uh, forgiveness, but in the realm of preemptively to begin the day and say, Lord, obviously I have a problem with this particular issue and I ask you to help me with, with it today. And, and then he does, and we're on our, our way. And so the importance of, of confessing prayer uh, in that way even in, in that passage in 1 John that's called the Christian bar of soap, uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess doesn't mean just to say to God, I confess all the sins I committed today or in the last month, and I ask you to forgive me of that. The word confess means to see my sin the way that God sees it. And that takes a moment to kind of stay, uh, keep that sin present and to realize this isn't just something that I've done in violation to God's Word, but I've done it in violation of His nature. I've hurt His heart. I've misrepresented him in the world. And so to just stop and for a moment and, and, and develop within us a sobriety concerning uh, sin and, and how does God see this sin within my life. All of it so helpful in then building important uh, barriers and mechanisms within our life to, uh, to address sin 
on, on a, a quicker level in, in, in our lives. It's beautiful what he, he uh, models here. The second thing that, that he uh, does here in verse 6 is he says, And neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and uh, our princes, to our fathers, and all the people of the land. And so here's the confession of having uh, the Jewish people not listening to all of the prophets that God sent. Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, all, so many of them, and so many of them that didn't write books that became a part of the Bible. God sent them one after another to call on uh, the people to, uh, to repent and to turn from their sins so He wouldn't have, have to judge them. And so uh, He acknowledged the fact that, that, it, that they ended up in the mess that they were in, not because they weren't warned, but because they did not heed uh, God's uh, warning uh, to them. And uh, God had, had warned them plenty, but they disregarded it. I think about how uh, I don't think that there's a single Christian who ends up uh, sinning in, uh, uh, in any kind of a a significant kind of sin or, or blunder in some way that after we sin that we don't look back and realize that God had been trying to get through to us for a long time. But we had ceased praying. We had ceased reading His Word. We had cut ourselves off from fellowship. We had allowed the pace of life to be so fast that uh, the chances of the Holy Spirit speaking to us at any point in the day or night was absolutely, uh, you know, uh, uh, bowled over by uh, the sheer pace of life that was uh, allowing our, our lives to, uh, to come into. God is always, always uh, speaking, always faithful to warn us uh, ahead of time. But we have to listen and uh, I think that this is one of the, I think, one of the greatest um, uh, inadequacies of, and uh, again, not the word that I want, but I'll go with it, of, of the, the Christian church in the United States of America in, in this hour in church history is the failure uh, on... Uh, our part to warn other Christians concerning the cliff that they're about to drive over. And uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then here it is. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of uh, sin. And not only to warn one another concerning uh, apostasy, which is the context of Hebrews, but concerning any sin. And uh, we certainly don't want to be the Holy Spirit to people. Every time they make a mistake, we're there within five seconds. We don't even give them the room to hear the Holy Spirit, repent, take care of it between them and God. Uh, 
we're not wanting to encourage that at all in, in any of our lives. You want to see people run for their life, become that kind of a Christian. Uh, but when we watch somebody who is clearly not understanding something, uh, clearly not taking the Word of God seriously on an issue, and you go, I know where this goes. This is a train wreck. It is always a train wreck. This is going to be a disaster for him, for his marriage, for his entire family, for his entire life. He will uh, one day be willing to give his right leg and his right arm uh, away in order to have a second chance in that situation to do it differently. And yet, to not say anything at all in kind of this uh, privacy that we like and space that we like as Americans and uh, we like to give people. It's funny how, where we want privacy. We want privacy and then we've got these dumb things talking to us in our house that can listen to everything that we're doing. And uh, listen, I'm, uh, it's in the papers. I don't have one. I don't want one of these things in my house. You have it and it brings on the song that you want or answers the question that you wanted to answer, that's great. Or on Facebook where every single thing is, you know, uh, recorded and then sold in terms of, uh, you know, painting your, uh, who you are as a, as, a, as a person. So it's funny how we're willing to just throw out privacy altogether in, in one sense for the benefits of, of technology and, and convenience. and. Uh, and yet, in the area where uh, we should be, uh, shouldn't be concerned uh, about that, in the area of exhorting one another, it is almost uh, non-existent. And I, 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 I'd like us all to just take that to, uh, to the Lord, and not just for tonight, but, I mean, who do you know that is just about to destroy their life? And nothing will be said uh, related to Everybody knows. Everybody sees it. I mean, they may hate you after you say whatever you say. But somebody's got to say it. And, and, uh, and not only concerning something tonight, but to, to see something in someone's life and say, Lord, do you want to use me as an instrument like you used the prophets in the Old Testament to, to warn of the need to heed you on an issue that they are no longer heeding you on. That's a part of the immune system of the body of Christ. Nothing wrong uh, with, with that at, at, at all. And so, the, um, the, the importance of, of, of all of, of this. And then in verses, verse 7, And, uh, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. Uh, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and, uh, to, uh, and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against uh, Him. And uh, here you have another confession of, 
by Daniel of the blamelessness of God in, in all of that. Any spiritual failure that occurs within our life is 100% our, uh, our, uh, our fault and, and not God's. And sometimes we just need uh, to be reminded of that. Somebody just needs to tell us that. Or again, the blame shifting uh, goes on. I remember when we were down on 10th and F, and, and uh, just like when you're a new Christian, so many of those first times you run into a lot of things, uh, that becomes like the, um, the, the most impactful thing that'll stay with you now in that area of the Christian life for the rest of your Christian life. And the same thing happens in, in any area of Christian ministry and certainly for being a pastor. And I remember a gentleman came in that was attending the church at that time, and it was in the early days, and he just kept on sinning, and, and he was going out, on, he's just like a traveling salesman guy, and he's taking his wedding ring off as he heads out on his routes and all of these things, and, and he's failing in the area of sexual immorality. And he finally came in, and, and, he, he, and I was unaware of this and, and, and until it, I became aware of it, and, and he just, and his complaint was, is God's not keeping his end of the bargain. And, and that's funny, I've been a lot of guys through the years that say, well, you know, the Bible kind of applies to everybody else, but I have an extraordinary uh, sex drive. Uh, or I have an extraordinary attraction to alcohol. Or an extraordinary attraction to sin. The Bible says, uh, talks about the fact that, that we, uh, that the, that uh, the appeal to sin uh, to each and every one of us is equally strong uh, in our lives. And, uh, and uh, that kind of lie that people uh, get into, and, and he was very disappointed in God and was blaming God and all. I took him to, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and, which says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And I explained to him that God has given us all that we need in order to uh, live a life, a godly life, and, and everything that pertains to all of that, and the failure is not found in God, but it was a failure on his part, a, self, a, a self-deception. And, uh, and with that and other things that happened within his life, he began to turn uh, things around. But that's always true. When, if you find yourself in a place tonight where you are absolutely dominated by sin, and somehow you are disappointed with God uh, over His failure, some failure of His power, His grace, His love, His promise toward you that you remain in that position. It's important for you to realize that God isn't failing you at all. But this is a a 100% of failure on your part. And if you look at it and you say, well, I don't even know where to begin to dig out from where I am now. And that may be because you don't have a good understanding of the Bible. Well, make an appointment with one of the pastors here at the church. 
Say, I listened to what pastor had to say related uh, to that. I've been blaming God, thinking I'm this extraordinary kind of Christian for whom the Bible doesn't work. And, uh, and I realize that that isn't true. Now begin to help me to see this in a biblical way. And they'll be very, very happy uh, to do that. You notice in uh, verse 10, he said, We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. Again, God, he, he confesses again, God, you told us and you told us and you told us. And, and it's like the person that's raised in church. I heard sermon after sermon after sermon related to that thing. God, it's not like I didn't know and you didn't warn. Isn't it interesting what we remember related to sermons? You do remember something related to sermons, I hope. Okay. But these things where you listen to maybe a 45-minute sermon and there's like uh, one to three things that stick with you. Now, uh, sometimes for good. And, uh, and that's just the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and it's always important to pay attention to anything we hear in a sermon where the Holy Spirit is giving that point an extra life in our our spirit uh, as, as we hear it. It's having a, an especial impact upon our lives because it means that God is speaking to us. And that can be in the form of encouragement or is it the case here in the form of, of warning. And when you sit and you, you say, boy, I squirmed all the way through that sermon, whatever the sermon might be. And uh, that wasn't squirming under some pastor. That's squirming under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, trying to do in our lives individually what uh, God tried to do in the nation of Israel as, as a whole. And then you notice in verse 11, yes, all Israel, as is, is Daniel is continuing his prayer, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as to not obey your voice. And therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against uh, him. And Daniel just straightly uh, confessed this long period of time that they had been uh, in their sin before God had, uh, had, had judged them and, uh, and, uh, and before they had uh, repented uh, of it. And, and there had been this very, very long period of time. And he acknowledges that, that fact. I like the old saying concerning brokenness. And brokenness is something that we should, brokenness before God should be something that uh, we long for as a characteristic of our li in our lives as Christians. And, um, and someone has said that brokenness in our lives is uh, directly proportional to the time that elapses between the moment that I sin and the moment that I confess that sin and repent of it. So when you sin, whether deliberately or uh, you didn't intend to and flying off the handle on something or whatever it might be, when you sin and immediately there is that conviction of sin in that moment, and 
so often we feel like I can't go to God now and in the light of you know what I've just done I've got to give him a few minutes to cool down maybe a few days of course he doesn't need any time to cool down that conviction and that longing to confess sin and repent is an evidence of a beautiful brokenness within your life uh, always uh, come to God immediately in that way it's when we can sin and, and it takes weeks or months before there's any conviction on it that is an indication of a severe lack of brokenness within our lives be, before God. We're out of tune uh, uh, with Him. And so this uh, recognition of this in verse 12. And as it is written, verse 13, in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our own prayer before the Lord our God that we uh, might turn from our iniquities and understand uh, your uh, truth. God had made it very clear all the way through the law of Moses and crystal clear in the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the last of the five books of Moses, before they go into the land. Moses preached to them, I don't know how long that sermon was, but it was a long sermon. And he preached to them all of the blessings that God would bring upon them if they would simply obey his word and all of the curses that God would bring upon them if they rebelled against his, uh, against his word. And and, uh, and all of it came completely true. God's word will always come to pass. It never fails to. And so what we want to make sure is that we're always on the blessing side of those promises and not on the chastening or the judgment side of, of, of those, those promises. And, Jer and uh, uh, Daniel here is speaking to that. And then notice verse 14, Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which He does, though we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name, uh, Yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned and done wickedly. And when he references God delivering them out of Egypt, he is essentially saying to God, God, we know that we are not in the situation and the fix that we're in because of any lack of power on your part or any lack of faithfulness or motivation on your part. You already demonstrated uh, that in Egypt. We are here because of our sin and our wickedness. And O oh Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sin and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all uh, of, of those around us. And so this plea for mercy, uh, this plea for grace that continues in verse 17, and now therefore our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, 
cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. And in Jerusalem, the, the temple area was, it was destroyed, the temple was, it was all desolate. And God says, would you make your face shine upon that place uh, once again? And, uh, and, and uh, this concern that he has for that. And for the Lord's face to shine upon us, it uh, means for a, a face to uh, shine or glow in favor toward another uh, person. When, when, you, uh, w- uh, when you meet someone that you are so happy to see and you want to bless, your face shines uh, upon them. And it's a mark of your favor. And, and he prayed for this same thing uh, from Uh, from the Lord toward uh, them. And now, therefore, our God, hear uh, the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And, oops, verse 18, we don't want to go backwards. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we, do, uh, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. And that's why he approaches God. And in the, just the severe, just the low point of the Jewish, Jewish people in the entire Old Testament here, this captivity. And when he reapproaches God, for a second chance and to, and on behalf of the nation, he does so not on the basis of any kind of works or human effort or self-righteousness, but on the basis of the mercy and the grace of God. That's our only hope as sinners in being restored, and we approach him in the same way. We don't have to go and help old ladies across the street for six months and then come to him and say, now look at that, and then here, and it had nothing to do with that. I approach you solely on the basis of your grace. It's my only hope in, in my situation. And, uh, and it's wonderful to know that the grace of God is that inexhaustible, that Daniel could on behalf of the children of Israel. They're murdering their children in Jerusalem. They're murdering their children in Jerusalem, the people of God. They are murdering people in order to steal property in law cases. They are oppressing the poor. They're bearing false witness in the courts so that innocent people would die and guilty people would live. This is happening among the Jewish nation at the time that they were going to go into captivity. And you go back through those major prophets and you look at what Jerusalem and Judah had become and it was awful, indescribably awful. And and yet Daniel recognizes that the grace of God is greater than even the greatness of their sin. And he feels free to approach in the light of that. And God's grace is greater than all of our sin. What would we do if that wasn't true? And O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your peoples uh, and your people are called Uh, and your people are called by your name. 
And so I knew all along, uh, I knew within three minutes we would not get to the prophecy tonight. And sorry for the false advertising this morning. And um, I'm already repentant, you see? I'm applying the passage uh, in the sermon to myself tonight. Um, but the subject of prayer and the subject of intercession and the subject of, of confession uh, of sin is, is so important that I'm glad that we could just uh, spend some time and, and hunker down on this and look at these practical aspects uh, of, of prayer. And, uh, and then next week we'll look at uh, this uh, incredible, beautiful answer to prayer that comes beyond the Jewish people being restored back into the land, but this beautiful revelation and uh, prophecy that is given uh, to Daniel uh, from the throne of God. Let's stand together now and let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time in your word tonight and to um, really brood upon the subject of prayer this evening and to be able to look at it so practically from a position of failure, to be able to look at it from the vantage point of a man is uh, spiritual and as uh, in love with you as Daniel was. And we just pray that you would use our time tonight, these practical things that we've looked at, to continue to shape our, our prayer life with you and to recognize these same things in our own life or things that aren't there. And Lord, we pray that not a single one of us would live one more minute, certainly not one more half hour, uh, failing to have confessed sin to you that occurred so long ago within our lives, or that we would continue uh, in sin because we've been handed a bunch of excuses by our mom or our dad or our husband or our wife or by our culture or by our friend and concerned about being right with all these other people but failing to be concerned about being right with you. We pray that you would release us from all of that by bringing us into a current place in our relationship with you concerning all of these things. Father, we thank you for the power of Jesus' sacrifice and his blood and his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection that has turned your throne, astonishingly so, into a throne of grace for us from which to receive the grace and mercy that we so desperately need in our pilgrimage. We thank you tonight for your grace and for your commitment to what you have begun in each of our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.